people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your longest college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to set your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girlfriend. And that about sums it up. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Hegg. With me, of course, Rob Vanhoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? It's going well. Shalom. Yeah. So I told Rob before we came on the air here that uh, once again, I feel completely unprepared for this show. And I apologize to our listening audience (laughs) for the mediocre podcasting job that we do here. Actually, you know, I got to say that we've had some fun uh, uh, advances in in, uh, what could be be advances for this show um, and uh, in the past week. And uh, it's it's getting exciting. It, It is getting exciting. We're talking about all sorts of things. We're talking about now. Um, changing the time of the show to be more conducive for our, our listening audience so that people can listen live. Um, and then also, believe it or not, folks, what we're actually talking about doing, the reason that we would change it is because we're thinking about leaving the podcast format behind. And we're thinking about doing more of a live radio call-in show. That's right. We figured it out this last week. We have the technology already. We can already do it. We can already uh, we can already have people call in if we want. We just got to set it up and do it. So I guess the question is, is that really what we want to do? What do you think? <laughs> I love it. I, I love the idea of – it feels like taking it to the next level. You know what I mean? Like where we're interacting. I know there's a lot of moving parts that have to be put in place for us to do that. But um, – but why not? You know, let's let's try it. I'm with you, man. Can I share a scripture? Yeah, of course you can. can is the Bible allowed in our broadcast? <laughs> Always. Just scriptures I've been meditating on. And I know we're going to talk about, um, <clears throat> I think we're going to talk about the passage from, about Naaman. Yes. In Kings today. Yep. yep. And uh, there's a, a little bit of Luke chapter, I think it's Luke 4. Um, that we're going to talk about, but I wanted to talk about what to the purpose of, of our, of what we do with our life. And I'm think I've been reading in Ephesians five and I'll just start off here. Ephesians five, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Hmm. Okay. Walk in love just as Christ, just as Messiah also loved you. And gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Hmm. So, and I've been thinking about this because in our in the triennial tri- uh, cycle, the three-year mm-hmm. Torah cycle, we just started Leviticus. Yeah. Right, and it starts off with the this last Shabbat was 
Leviticus 1, where it talks about the burnt offering. Yeah. And as we go, uh, we're, we learn about the, the different types of offerings. And it says that they're a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Well, when we, we know from, uh, from the Gospels that Yeshua, and, and even the scribe he's talking to in one instance, in Mark, I think, that they say the Shema and the love your neighbor as yourself is greater than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So in other words, it doesn't say that the burnt offerings are worthless. It says, you know how, how great those are, how valuable they are. They are. Walking in the Shema is, is even greater mm. than, than that. Mm-hmm. And, and loving your neighbors yourself. So that means to walk in love means that that's what that is. That's a pure, it's a pureness. There, there's, it's holy. It's a source of, of blessing to, to those that, whose lives we touch, even mm. if they're unbelievers. Yeah. That the very fact that you are on the planet, that you are, that, you, that God gave you a body and he put you in a, in a family and in a community, et cetera, in a job, the very fact that you have the spirit of Messiah in you, mm. that's, that's, that's your source of life. He is our life. And we walk in that love. And that is like a, that's like a, an acceptable burnt offering of a pleasing, pleasing fragrance to the Lord. And we shouldn't be discouraged when we're, when we encounter and this was the other part of the passage. If you continue in Ephesians 5, verse 6, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. So that means we have to have this element where we don't, because I, I know I'm going rabbit trail here, but in our intro, we talk about cite your sources. Mm. Well, why, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by that? What we mean by that is we don't want to be deceived with empty words, which yeah. means we have to inquire. We have to, to take some effort to say, okay, I'm going to hear, I'll hear this person out. But I'm not going to just buy into what they're saying. I want to go back to the scriptures. Is it is it true, you know? And uh, are they being true in history? Another thing, Caleb, I have to say, I've been listening to these Daniel Wallace lectures. Oh, they're that, great. That, and he, time and again, he comes back. He says, unless we are willing to do sound historical inquiry, hmm. we are dishonoring Christ. That's yeah. what he says. He says. Because the very incarnation, the resurrection, the ascension, etc., is rooted in history, and therefore we can't. We need to be on the guard of anachronism, and and so what I love, and I've been so blessed by those recordings, and I hope our listeners will check in, uh, check it out while they're free, is um, we need to show good stewardship. We, we need to use just weights and measures. He, he talks about the Marcionite trend in, in theology of trying to separate, to have one standard for what he calls the New Testament texts mm-hmm. and the King James only is uh, kind of approach versus uh, the quote, Old Testament approach, which was done by Jewish scribes. He says we have to have a, we, our bibliology, our, our perspective on the preservation of the Word of God in history has to has to cover both the Hebrew Bible and the apostolic writings. I, I just, anyway, I know I'm going long on this, but we don't want to be deceived, and God has given us these basic tools. Historical timeline, words mean things, right? Try to understand words in their context. That's what I mean to say. Words can have multiple meanings, I guess, but we, that's why we need to be careful to attend to chronology. Uh, we don't want to be deceived. We want to be building on the rock, not on sand. 
and uh, there. I'll, so I'll so uh, I want to back up for just a second because you said a lot there and a lot of good things. Uh, what uh, what Rob is referencing in terms of free audio from Daniel Wallace is uh, I, I just posted it on the Robin Caleb Show Facebook page so you can check it out. Free textual criticism lectures. It's 36 sessions. And, normally uh, 100 bucks, I think. Yeah, it's normally $100. You can go in right now. And you. Uh, so many people went onto the site to uh, download it that it crashed their site. Um, but it's, <laughs> I hope they came through our uh, – I think it was Lois who shared originally. Yeah, and yeah, I'm so grateful for that Yeah, because uh, – Let's get it out there to as many people. Let's crash it again. Let's crash yeah. your website. <laughs> it's, it's, it's free. Uh, it's free right now uh, as the audio direct download. Add it to your cart, and then you you can just download all of them. Uh, and uh, if you don't know who Daniel Wallace is, then, uh, then you know, go outside. <laughs> uh, you know, there, get out, get out of your room. <laughs> where, where he's drawing diagrams and, sure. showing, and folding paper and showing papyri, uh, you know, and uh, – no, I don't have the video, but I, I'm encouraged for those who have it but in their budget and wait, maybe in a homeschooling budget. Wait, wait, maybe wait. Maybe invest in the video side. Actually, it's not even – you don't even have to have the video. Uh, you can go buy the keynote on that site that Daniel Wallace was using. Gary Springer did that, our administrator. Oh, um, cool. He, he did that, and uh, he had a 50% off coupon too uh, that you can get online, I believe. And uh, so you can you can get the, the keynote for 50% off. It's cheap uh, when you consider what you're getting. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. So uh, anyway, there, go check yeah. that out. Anyway, the, uh, uh, that, this is just another another point of us trying to promote this idea, clarity of thought. And we good scholarship. To, and good scholarship. Excellent scholarship. History matters, right? Theology matters. History is important. And uh, um, just being a good steward. And sure. this is what's so cool is that uh, this is what we have to do in the body of Messiah. We have to look at that, how he equips his people through different scholars, and uh, and so we're excited to promote uh, Dr. Wallace's work. Okay, so uh, uh, Michael, who's actually in the other room, <laughs> says Rob's audio is not synced; must be a Skype thing. It's actually his uh, it's his internet speed. Believe it or not. Uh, so uh, sorry about that, folks. Uh, so you'll see his uh, audio sometimes be on, and then other times it'll be off. This is just ha it's pure connection. Uh, so w there's really nothing at this point that we can do. Uh, if you'd like Rob's audio to be synced, go ahead and send us money so we can bump him up. In uh... <laughs> I'm playing. I'm totally playing. I don't know what I have to do. I I, I think I'm maxed out unless I get cable um, for my neighborhood, and I don't want to get cable. Yeah, don't do that. Okay, um, so I we got a lot of stuff that we can talk about today. Um, before we leave the, I mean, we just talked a lot, but before we uh, before we leave uh, my initial comment, uh, if you think the idea of a live call-in show is a good idea, let us know. Send us an email or call our comment line. Right now we have a comment line. Let us know that you would call our show and uh, and tell us that we were right or wrong or whatever on a live call-in show. Uh, you can do that by calling our comment line, which is 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you again. It's 253-465-3205. There's a lot of logistics that go into that. Uh, you know, we'd have to have a call screener and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, you know, it's... Uh, We've we've talked as a group of, of people at uh, you know at Tor Resource to say whether or not we want to put the manpower into it. So we'd like to hear from you if you think that that's a good idea or not. Um, and then of course uh, our programmer for the entire Tor Resource Radio is Gary Springer. Thank you for being at the uh, programming desk, Gary. And uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by Tor Resource. Go to Tor Resource and find all sorts of great study tools and things to help you do scholarship correctly. And uh, also, it is brought to you by Yeshua Shirts, yeshuashirts.com. Start a conversation today. Go to Yeshua Shirts, buy something that has the name Yeshua on it in Hebrew, uh, and uh, have people ask you what in the world that says, and then tell them about your faith. And right now, if you put in the coupon code TRRADIO, in the coupon box at checkout. I think it's a 10% discount. You get a 10% discount. That pretty much covers your shipping charge. So uh, go for it. There's no reason not to. Okay. With all that out of the way, I have a clip. I don't know why I pulled. I pulled two clips. By the way, I should say, somebody called in and said, uh, not called in, they wrote in, they wrote me and said, you know, you guys are constantly uh, telling us why uh, people in the Hebrew Roots movement are wrong, which is easy to do. Anyone can see why a lot of these guys are wrong. They said, so why don't you talk about real scholars and what they're saying and, you know, tell us why these real scholars are, are wrong. Well, that's a great idea. And so I went hunting for some stuff. And this isn't really something to um, – actually, we're going to – this whole this – whole, <laughs> This whole uh, show is basically looking at uh, what I would call real good scholars. Um, however, I went looking. I didn't find anything that I'm necessarily going to combat or anything like that, but I found a very interesting clip. This by uh, by N.T. Wright. Now, I, I cut this clip down by about a minute, minute and a half. So uh, for those who get our show notes, if you don't get our show notes, you should. You can sign up for our show notes at uh, the, the Robin Caleb Show page on Tor Resource. Um, sign up to get our, our show notes. Okay, so this uh, from N.T. Wright, and I cut it down. You can listen to the whole thing. It's in your show notes. The link is in your show notes if you want to listen to the whole thing. One of the things that I think our generation finds it very difficult to understand. By the way, I should I should preface this also with they asked him, what is one of the things that still confuses you? What's one of the things that still kind of hangs you up? And so this is his answer to that. One of the things that I think our generation finds it very difficult to understand is the notion of sacrifice, that the Old Testament is full of sacrifices and Jesus and the, uh, the apostles use the language of sacrifice in relation to Jesus' own death. Now, obviously, we do not, as a matter of habit, ritual, custom, um, slit the throat of goats or bulls or calves or doves or anything else in the way that people used to very cheerfully. But you see, my fear is that a lot of Christians, when they think sacrifice, they, they um, collapse the notion of sacrifice into some version of penal substitutionary atonement. Now, as my books make it quite clear, I believe in penal substitutionary atonement, just in case there's any doubt on that score. Just watch my lips, Galatians 3.13, Romans 8.3 and 4, etc. But I don't think that's what sacrifice is about. Sacrifice means a wide variety of different things in the Old Testament. And there's sin offerings and guilt offerings and thank offerings and so on. And the idea that all sacrifices have to be collapsed into the idea that uh, God wants to punish me, but I transfer the punishment to the sacrifice and the sacrifice gets killed instead of me. You do get that a little bit on the Day of Atonement, but I notice that when the sins are confessed over the head of one particular goat, 
that is the goat that isn't killed. That's the goat that's driven off into the wilderness because the sin has made it unclean. So there's a real problem about this. And, and I, I get frustrated with the thought that a lot of Christians, when they think sacrifice, they either ignore it altogether or they think, oh, yes, that's that atonement stuff which we learned about in Sunday school. I don't think that either of those really works. And I've tried, I've asked Jewish friends, Jewish scholars, why did the ancient Israelites do this? And the only answer I usually get is because it said so in the Torah, so they had to do it. And I'm not satisfied with that. I think people had a deep instinct. It's something to do with humans and animals and God and land and so on. Hey, uh, that's great. I had no idea you were going to play that, and I'd never heard that before. But this ties in to a couple things, if I may. The the passage from Ephesians, right? The idea of a, of a an aroma pleasing unto God. Where do we hear that? That's that's the what Tanakh describes in the Torah, right? Of sacrifice, Leviticus one. Um, I, I'm happy to say that the communities I'm aware of meditate on things like Leviticus one, two, three, four, five, and um, differentiate the difference between an olah. Right where no one benefits, it all goes up. The priests don't benefit even. Uh, 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 think what they call a, uh, an offering, a peace offering, zivach shlemim, um, and where there's, uh, you know, there's a burnt offering or, or a sin offering, mm-hmm. right? A chadat. Mm-hmm. Yep. So these are all very, very important distinctions, um, and uh, there is no limit for how many burnt offerings you can bring. You could bring. A burnt offering every day. But the Torah does describe that it has to be, you know, a, a, you can't just grab any animal and bring it as a burnt offering. There's only certain things that qualify. Sure. But but I, I appreciate what he's saying, and I, I, I kind of, not that I want to be prideful, but I, I hope that in Messianic communities we do appreciate uh, what sacrifice is well, well, and okay. that it's not always substituting, it, it's not a concept that's, uh, such as the sin offering. So, so there is let, let, the, let me... the wholehearted devotion to God and, and that he is first in all things. And this is going to come back when we get into the story of Naaman, the Syrian, the Aramean too. Go ahead. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you. However, his point is well taken. It's not just that it's substitutionary uh, atonement that we're looking at all the time. However, I think that those it, before uh, before the Messiah came certainly had... Some of them did it just because this is what God told us to do, right? That's part of it. But I think those who knew that the Messiah was going to come and deal with sin, not only was it substitutionary atonement and those kind of things, but it was wrapped up the the covenant relationship of God with his people and sharing everything in life, right? You know, uh, I think I cut it out, but he talks about, uh, maybe I didn't, uh, he talks about, you know, um, it's part of, land and, you know, animals were a huge part of the economy and these kind of things. And I think that even if we did sacrifices today, um, that would be a huge monetary uh, uh, burden. If you, I mean, you could say burden, it would be a huge monetary uh, uh, hit to a lot of people because bulls are not, you know, lambs are not cheap, you know. Um, But I think, I think that it's, it's all wrapped up in are wanting to share every piece of life with the Almighty. Absolutely. That's why even the burnt offering, though, you could bring a dove. If you're poor, 
you know, you don't have to bring a bull. That, that in other words, you, there are multiple ways to express, and it, and it has the same impact. It's, it, it God appreciates it still as a uh, uh, sweet savor. But, but the idea is that it reflects the Shema, that you love God. Sure. The, the assumption be- behind the burnt offerings is that you love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The, the, when Israel got off track, I mean, you read Isaiah 1, it almost sounds like one, a letter of Paul. Like, he's like, you rulers of Sodom, right? You children of Gomorrah. Like, like he's saying, you foolish. Uh, verse 11, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams, yeah. etc. So, wait. Says, you're, 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 in other words, he said, this is, uh, in Isaiah's time, the same problem that N.T. Wright is talking about in the church today it is manifest in a different way. Yeah. It's the fact that people are doing these things. They're doing the Olah. They're doing the, the, these offerings, but it says, you're, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. That there's a disconnect. Even you know, in the 8th century B.C., 7th, 8th century B.C., Isaiah the prophet is still—I hope I got his dates right—is uh, um, still f- confronting God's people with— this div- this disconnect, and N.T. Wright's describing it in a different way, but I think at the core, th- there's there's something in common. Okay, so here this a lot of people might think that I'm really stretching on this one, but you know we we're talking about uh, uh, covenant relationship, sharing everything with God, and and uh, you know the sacrificial system as being a, a huge part of that. Um, I listened to this thing by Piper. And I know that Piper and Wright have gone back and forth on justification, all these kind of things. Okay, they've deba- debated fiercely about these things. But I listened to this thing by Piper, and I thought Piper is is giving Wright the answer without even knowing it. Now, the audio on this is very bad because he's he. I think he's probably uh, giving this lecture to about a hundred thousand people in a stadium. It's it's the biggest stadium I've ever. <laughs> seen. I'm not joking. It's the biggest stadium I've ever seen, and uh, so the echo. You can hear the echo. Uh, so it's, the audio is really bad. But listen to what Piper says. The, he's talking about happiness and enjoying God. This has been Piper's uh, kind of mantra and what he's built his whole, um, uh, you know, his his whole... Uh, yeah, the uh, Westminster Confession. Yeah, you know, so... Right so the, beat, the, the idea of enjoying God. So listen to what Piper has to say. The greatness of God's majesty is magnified, not in hollow efforts to keep commandments. Every religion does that. That doesn't make God look great. It makes you look moral. Rather, the greatness of God's majesty is exalted when you are satisfied in Him more than anything. Mm. Especially when you're suffering. So my point here is you'll never feel this. You will never devote your life to magnifying God by being satisfied in God until you see that the ultimate essence of evil is the failure to be satisfied in God. (laughs) I just wonder, how many of you try to be good without any attention to this. Like you're fighting the battle at the level of 
deeds all the time. Well, I'm not supposed to do that, or I should be doing that, or more of that, or less of that. Like, Satan is laughing up his sleeve that you are fighting on a front that can never succeed. The battle is here, really deep here. What do you love? What do you cherish? What are you satisfied by? Are you fighting that battle? That's the battle that gives rise then to all that's good and kills all that's evil. So, the reason at passion, talking about the ultimate essence of evil, is because passion is about the majesty of God, and you will never make much of the majesty of God until you know and hate that the ultimate essence of evil is preferring anything to God. So I left all of his uh, pauses in there because when Piper, when Piper's preaching, you know, and and you know that he's, it, it's real for him. You can, you know, you can hear it. His voice starts to crack. The pauses are just, I mean, he, he, man, yeah. he is dynamite. But I think that remind, that, Romans five, therefore, yeah, I love this. Dikaiothentes, for those who've done Greek, this, uh, we have, we have shalom with God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. So that's the core question. Do you have shalom? That's what he's talking about. When, when, you, when I hear him, I, I'm thinking Romans 5. It says we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not in the glory of ourselves, not in um, what do others think of me, but that we are, it's exciting to be in Messiah. It's, we're, it's participating in his grace. Right, that's not our. It's not our works. We haven't done anything to earn this. And then he says, we also boast in our our trials, knowing that God is going to develop us. He's going to give us perseverance, right? Character, hope. That's what he gets into here in Romans five one. So, and uh, that's what I hear him saying. Amen. Adam Adam asks, does Piper articulate how this satisfaction is achieved in the real? Um, he does in numerous books that he has. Um, he, uh, he, uh, you know what he does? He quotes, he quotes Isaiah a lot, yeah. like to call the Sabbath a delight to call the Oneg. He talks about the Oneg. He gets into the Hebrew and you're, you're there going, Oh my goodness. You're like, yes, yes. He's this, so close. The Shabbat, is, yeah. the Shabbat is like a weekly <laughs> affirmation of freedom in the world full of sin and Pharaoh and other powers trying to rule you and make you afraid and try, you know, and we have this anchor in, in our freedom that we are, we were slaves and we're no longer slaves. We were redeemed by, uh, by God who now uh, owns us, who possesses us, whom we serve. And, uh, but we get right there and then he shifts it. You know, he has that, that shift to where, uh, the emphasis, you know, in Reformed tradition is going to be on the resurrection, which yeah. I agree. We we do emphasize the resurrection by 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 affirming the the enduring promises associated with the Shabbat command is not to is not to diminue what do you call it uh, to make the resurrection diminish less, the, yeah diminish diminished, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, because you know a lot of I think a good Sunday people will say that they're celebrating Resurrection Day sure. You know, and it's like, okay, you know, so they have their their own midrashic uh, means of justifying this. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, good, so, good stuff. So um, I don't know. This is, I mean, this is just, uh, I'll throw this out there. I don't know how many people saw there's been a, uh, a terrorist attack in London. And it uh, looks like uh, there's been some, uh, somebody tried to run a bunch of people over with a car. And then uh, there was a knifing in Parliament. Uh, or attempted knifing uh, before they they shot and killed the the person. Uh, so our thoughts and prayers with the people over uh, over in London. I I first saw that by uh, Doctor Tilling who posted it on Facebook. And so uh, yeah. Anyway, this is not a news show. I just but I just figured I'd throw that out there for people who haven't seen. Um, okay, um, let's keep going. Then we had a, a very uh, lengthy. <laughs> and th- there's nothing wrong with this at all. I- I'm not trying to say that. Uh, we had a very lengthy comment on one of our YouTube uh, uh, videos by a young lady who was asking about the adulterous woman. And she was um, basically putting forward her idea of how uh, basic I- I- I'm going to try it was since it was so lengthy, I, I didn't pull any part of her comment. I'm going to try to uh, give a sum up of what what her uh, overall point was. If uh, adultery is uh, against the Torah, and the Torah says that we are to stone an adulterous person. Um, then wouldn't Yeshua be breaking the Torah if he did not condemn the woman uh, who committed adultery? Um, basically, how, how was he justified in in uh, letting her go? Is is essentially, I think, what the essence of her question was. Um, we've talked about the the adulterous woman passage on this show. I think several times, but you know we're always trying to uh, to give our new listeners uh, some of some of what we've talked about so that they kind of know where, where we stand on things. The adulterous woman passage is a very very difficult passage, and the reason why is because no one uh, I would say that most of scholarship would agree that it's not original. Um, you don't see it in. It's not even fixed to a specific book. Uh, later manuscripts, they try to stuff it in different places. At one point, it's at the end of Luke. Uh, it's uh, needless to say, it seems as though it's a late edition, and uh, most uh, textual critics would say that this is not a part of an original manuscript. I agree. I don't actually think it's part of part of scripture. However, uh, that's not a good answer um, for a lot of people who do who do believe that it's scripture. And not only that, but Dr. Wallace, who we were talking about earlier. Has made some really good points. You can't, uh, you can't, you know. Pe- preachers love to preach on on this passage of scripture, so you can't, you can't just throw it out. Um, no one would, no one would uh, allow that. If if a Bible came out that didn't have the adulterous woman story in it, uh, then what would we do, right? Uh, pe- people would just would not buy that Bible. I don't think. Uh, so th- that's not the point. Let's pretend for a few seconds. And, and Dr. Wallace, once again, I think that he, uh, in his textual criticism, I think he actually touches on this specific passage. Was the story original? Probably not in the form that we have it now. Was there some uh, Was there some story that probably was circulated about something going on like this? Yes, probably. Was it actually an adulterous woman? Who knows? Uh, we don't know what the sin was, but there was probably some sin in, uh, that somebody committed. They brought somebody to Yeshua. And this is a, a, probably a very famous and common story that uh, ended up, uh, you know, uh, as Dr. Wallace does say, on the cutting room floor. Uh, in other words, uh, they, they decided not to put it in, and so many people kind of thought it should go in that uh, it ended up back in there. 
in in some form. Okay, so all that aside, we, let's just let's just pretend for a few seconds that the adulterous woman story that we have in our English Bibles today is uh, is original and it is the uh, it, it it's in the form that it was originally written by one of the the authors of the, of the synoptics or or John or the gospels in general let's pretend that for a few seconds even if that's the case there's multiple problems going on with this story and not problems in terms of things we can't deal with but problems in terms of it's obvious that if this story is true that they are attempting to peg Yeshua they're trying to corner him somehow right uh, first of all they bring a woman who was caught in adultery where's the man why wouldn't they bring the man to? And I think that uh, assuming this story is original and true, Yeshua points this out right away. Right? You who, you who are without guilt cast the first stone. In other words, it seems as though they're trying to lynch this lady, uh, but, th- but they've let the man go. Where are the, you know, who are the witnesses? Who caught this woman in, in the act where, you know, it doesn't seem as though they've put forth witnesses beyond this. Yeshua is not a judge, right? He's not a, he's not an acting priest in the temple. He does. Uh, to me, it doesn't seem as though he has the authority to uh, dish out a death sentence to this lady. Right. Um, so there's multiple things going on here and it seems like uh, assuming this story is true. It's, yeah. It's in the same vein of, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Yeah, exactly. Or, uh, yeah, d- different things where they're trying to stage. Uh, they're doing uh, setting a stage to try to to catch him or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I I think the main point is that uh, you know they, they don't they didn't bring a man that she would have been caught with. Uh, and so he certainly finds it suspicious and, uh, he replies correctly. I, the, the brilliance of this story is that I, I do think that there is some truth in it. You know, there was something that, that happened like this and Yeshua's response is very much kind of almost what we've come to expect of his response. Right. Um, I, I, I understand Robert in the, in the, uh, chat room says my take on this is that Jesus uses the Torah to show mercy. So can charges be brought without two witnesses? No, uh, charges cannot be brought without two witnesses. And that's the point they, we don't see any witnesses here and we don't see, we don't, we don't see the other part of the adultery. If you're going to bring somebody to, uh, to be capitally punished for adultery, bring both of them, Right. Um, I, I agree that uh, that certainly the story is to show mercy, right? Uh, in some ways, and, but... and to confront the accusers with the gravity by by telling them to to throw stones. Yeah, there he's forcing them to connect their mob mentality. Uh, maybe you know we're gonna we're gonna find justice. We're gonna catch Yeshua with the very fact of, okay, then are you ready to take the life yourself? And in the context of reminding them, uh, are they guilty of sin themselves? So it, it it's a powerful story, no question about it. All right, well, let's take a call. Um, oh, wait, no, that's not yet. See, the, <laughs> these are the kind of things that we could do if we had a live call-in show, right? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It sounds exciting to me. Okay, let's keep going. Um, now, there's multiple things that we uh, could talk about. I think that we... 
we're slotted to talk about Takun Olam. That's one of the things that we, we wanted to talk about. Th this is a huge subject, though, um, and could take quite a, a bit of time. We've already talked for 35 minutes, which is outrageous. Uh, and I also I know that you also want to uh, look at this, this article um, by Dr. Ellie Lissorkin Eisenberg. Um, yeah, let's do that. We can punt on the other one. Okay. Because I... So, so I, to be honest with you, I'm sure that you could talk for days about this. I looked at this. It seems like the same old argument uh, against uh, from scholars against one Torah theology. Right. It does. It doesn't see. There's nothing new in this, in my opinion. It's it's very much uh, the same old going to the same old passages. Acts 15 tells yeah, the Gentiles we, we, that they're yeah. do, doing Noahite laws. It's it's ridiculous. But um, let's. Let's. Well, let, did you want to set? So we we got. An email I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll set. Yeah. I'll set it up with her with her email. Uh, she says, uh, "This is from Lori, who's been, uh, yeah, uh, her son. We've interviewed her son on Torah Resource Radio. Her son is Benjamin Noonan, Doctor Benjamin Noonan, uh, who's also he's married to Doctor uh, Doctor Noonan as well. His wife is also a doctor and teaches Hebrew. Um, they're." They're in the brilliant category, uh, way above my understanding and knowledge. Anyway, so uh, Lori writes in and she says, I'm wondering what you think of the teaching which says Naaman is a convert to Israel, yet went back and remained in his own culture. This is taught as an example of different laws for different people groups under the one Torah umbrella for Messianics, yet also by Christians to justify the divine the divide between believing Jews and Gentiles. What do you think? Obviously, I don't share that view, but I would love to know how Torah scholars would answer. I'm not sure taking uh, soil from the land and importing it into a foreign land is an acceptable solution of cultural appropriation. Um, now, before we start, I want to say that that uh, Dr. Eisenberg is certainly... A, a worthy scholar, a worthy opponent as a scholar. There's no doubt about it. Um, I'll give you his bio real quick. You know, he got a uh, he got an MDiv in theology from Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, Florida. He uh, got he did a uh, master's in philosophy at University of Stellenbosch, which is in South Africa. Uh, he got a, he became a doctoral fellow uh, at Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and then uh, he got his PhD uh, in ancient cultures uh, at the University of Stellenbosch, which is in South Africa as well. Uh, so th certainly, uh, this this gentleman is certainly no slouch when it comes to uh, studies. He's he's definitely done his work. Okay, Rob, you you I think combed over this. More thoroughly than I did. Why don't yeah, you set so, it up? Well, well uh, so yeah, Lori sent because we we replied to her email. Said, can you give us some examples? Who's teaching? Because she had her initial email was it is taught that, right? And then there's this vague it is taught that. Well, can you can you give us some examples? So she found uh, a few links and sent them. And and did you provide it in the show notes? Do we? Yes, yes, it is in there. Yeah. So there's an article and, it, and he published it. Uh, uh, Dr. Lazorkin Eisenberg published it in August of 2016. So this just last summer, <clears throat> and it's called "Are There Still Jews and Greeks?" And I I don't know anything about you know I just learned more about him just from what you just shared. Um, 
but this reminds me of this uh, of this effort to bring every thought captive mm. to to Messiah. I encourage everybody to read this article. Um, it's interesting because the the URL is actually one Torah, not one law. So <laughs> it's like, okay, what's he? He's he's parsing, and he quotes. Uh, if you look in the footnotes, he quotes Mark Nanos. Um, interestingly, and this is from uh, a this is from Israel Study Center. By the way, we just got a mm-hmm. comment. I know you're not looking at the comments, uh, Rob, but we just got a a comment from Nicole. She says, "Listening from Jerusalem, Israel. Awesome. Wow, cool. Love it. Okay, keep keep going." Um, that uh, there are just a few notes that I took. So I encourage you guys to read this article. But here are some of the what I call the the unspoken agreement. It's like that there's a quiet oral tradition here mm. among Reformed Christians um, and even in Jewish scholars, I think. Uh, it's, it's almost like an unspoken statement of faith. Mm-hmm. And I want to encourage our listeners, and I'll, I'll give you the bullets, and they're all, they all occur in this article that this this uh, very accomplished uh, scholar has, you know, composed. And I would say he probably doesn't see them. Um, But I I just listed them. The idea that Acts 15 reflects an early example of the Noahide laws. Uh, And we've talked, we've talked in length about this on on this show before, which we know is is ridiculous. Yeah. This is one of those things you want to, if you're, you know, if you meet someone who's messianic or someone who's, interested you know you can go right talk about acts 15 do they understand uh this to be the noahide laws like a, a law for gentiles to be edified and established as a separate uh entity from israel and if that's how they understand it you can ask some other follow-up questions to to parse that out but in fact if you read all of acts 15 and and tour resources written a lot about this uh, tim haig has a couple articles i have some things that i've written on this that um it actually is it it was a ruling that james or yaakov comes to after hearing the testimony of peter and of paul and 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 the ruach hakodesh it's the yeah. guiding of the holy spirit that gives these uh what's called a dogma that they then write out and send to edify, and all these churches rejoiced when when they got this dogma. Um, yeah, not why? Why did they rejoice? <laughs> yeah, it it established and, and edified the edified them in their freedom in the Torah of the Messiah against uh, all the Jewish sectarianism that was trying to tell them they weren't doing it right. They weren't really. Yeah. They didn't really belong. They had to convert if they really wanted to be saved. They you're not really one us. of us. Yeah, yeah. You're not really one of us. They were being bombarded with that out there in the in the Jewish diaspora, and this strengthened them yeah. to hold fast. Um, and it was this is the fruit of of the brother of the Lord, right, James or ya- uh, Yaakov. Yeah. Um, he hear he fully hears the, uh, how the Gentiles are confessing and coming to faith in Messiah. Um, an, another point, just a footnote too, is is look to see if someone thinks that the yoke that Peter is talking about is the Torah of Moses or not. That's hmm. another thing. But anyway, yeah. um, another another point here he makes. He talks about conversion to Judaism in the first century, and it, in my opinion, he is uh, projecting later concepts onto this idea. He has this idea of Judaism that I think is deficient. And I, I look at I did look at his at his uh, 
doctoral dissertation, what he had focused on, and, and he didn't focus on this kind of thing. And so I, I can understand why he might not have a, a nuanced picture of that. Um, but he also seems to frame um, the Torah as, quote, ancestral custo- customs. Mm-hmm. In other words, it, and what, the, what we get, we get into this call, discussion of heritage and custom, and it, to me, and, and the way I see it flesh out in in the liter- a lot of this literature is that it's no longer covenant, right? It, it, I, sure, it's, there's heritage. Sure, there's custom there. But those are not the core. That's not the meat hmm. of, of what's going on here with the nature of covenant. Um, uh, another is this idea of, uh, of gender difference in, in uh, Galatians 3, the end of Galatians 3, that somehow, oh, there's neither male or female, neither Jew nor Greek. Well, if there's still if we're still having two bathrooms, right, there's still men and women, there must still be Jews and Greeks, and therefore separate Torahs, right, separate laws. Uh, because, it, and and I think that that is a, uh, that's yeah. also a, a misunderstanding of what's being talked about here. Um, and so these are just a few of the things, and it's in this article that he then quotes Naaman, and this is where I guess we can get to kind of the core of what, um, Lori's email was, was about second Kings five, mm-hmm. where you have the story of, uh, the King of Aram who is given victory, right? Yeah. Uh, over, over, uh, by the Lord, uh, has a captain who serves him, Naaman, and you might know him, Naaman the Syrian. And if read, you can go and read second Kings five, but Naaman wants to worship yod right? After, after he gets healed, he sees that there's no Elohim anywhere, and he wants to worship, but he, he tells uh, Elisha, the prophet, and there's, there's, we're skipping over so many details here, we'd have to go line by line, but uh, he's like, can I give you a gift? I brought all this gold, right? And Elisha says nothing. And he says, well, you know, will the Lord, may the Lord forgive me when I, uh, take my master, who's the king of Aram, when the king of Aram goes to worship in the house of Ramon, you know, I'm not, I'm helping him, but I'm not really worshiping him. And he's nervous. He's nervous. He's like, I want to love the God of Israel with all my heart, but there's a conflict with just my social situation. Yeah. And uh, all Elisha tells him is go in shalom, go in peace. And, and Elisha refuses to take anything. Well, then you have Gehazi, who's the servant of Elisha, goes and scams the guy. And in the very end, if you go to the end, Elisha confronts Gehazi and, and exposes him and says, the, the leprosy that was on Naaman is on it's you. It's on you now, yeah. And, and okay, so that's it. And, and what we get from this article, what I heard from this doctor's article is, is citing Naaman as a kind of Gentile believer in Yeshua who, who comes doesn't, to faith yeah, in not, Israel, but, but doesn't uh, have, you know, go and you don't have to do any of Israelite commandments. Yeah, he's, he's not keeping Torah, in other words. Right. And there are some nuance here that I think that are covered, uh, or that are uh, missed, especially um, when we don't look at how Yeshua himself teaches this passage. Hmm. Uh, in Luke 4, Yeshua teaches this 
passage as an example, along with Elijah uh, and the Syrophoenician woman, um, of a condemnation of Israel as in a position as in a uh, a position of unbelief. That Yeshua says, "You're going to tell me." This is in Luke four. He's preaching in Nazareth on a Shabbat in a synagogue. He says, "You're going to tell me, uh, heal yourself, prophet." And he says that a prophet is is unwelcome in his in his own country. And he quotes Elijah and Elisha with the Naaman the Aramean, Naaman the Syrian, as an example that there were many lepers in Israel, but only Naaman was healed. This is a condemnation of Israel for mm. not having the ability to even receive foreigners. Yeah. The king, if you go back and read Second Kings five, the king of Israel is shaking in his shoes when he gets the letter from the king of Aram. He's like, he's like, and Elisha's like, man, you know, even Israel was not equipped for an influx of foreigners who had faith. Yeah. But rather, God did because even though Israel was was in sin, God still sent prophets out to minister and bring healing to to foreigners who would then glorify his name and seek to worship him in the best way they could given the situation it was there was in other words another way i would put this is that there was no place in elisha's israel naaman had more faith in israel why would elisha tell naaman to go okay go study under this guy and learn our ways He's not going to do that because there's no no one qualified. There's no no one has articulated the Torah of the Messiah in Israel. Right. And Elisha is is himself is marginalized, you know, just like e- Elijah was marginalized by the by those in power in Israel. And this is the same thing that happened in Yeshua's day. Yeshua didn't come and set up a new sect, right? He didn't come and say, "Yo, go with the Pharisees or go with the Sadducees." He corrected everybody. everybody. Yeah, And he didn't say, oh, let's go to Qumran and abandon the temple altogether. No, he went and turned over the tables. Yeah, He confronted the power that was fallen and blind and called them to the, the promise and, and the intent of the covenant in all its gravity. And that, that in spite of the failure of the religious system, that God was still going to raise up children of Abraham from Judeans, from Sumerians, from Galileans, all the way from other nations as well, and that he would build his kingdom. And that's why chronology matters. We can't take 2 Kings 5 and say, see, this is what, this is what Acts 15 is all about, is telling Gentiles that they can go you know, participate in paganism, in, in, but in a nuanced way. It's just... it's. It's just wrong-headed. Um, anyway, that, uh, Caleb, what are your thoughts? No, I think you're right. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. The, the thing about this article, you know, and I, I think you covered the Naaman section of his article well. The, here's the, you know, when somebody says, uh, I'm going to go back to the comment, uh, you know, often you talk about the people in the Hebrew roots, but why don't you ever, you know, talk about uh, how to combat the the scholars? Well, the thing about Christian scholars, their their worldview or their their biblical worldview in terms of the way that they're looking at the Bible uh, is is informed by previous uh, uh, previous scholarship that's gone before them. They're, you know, they they're interpreting things 
the way that they were taught to interpret it. So in other words, uh, you know, Acts 15 and the idea of uh, the Jerusalem Council uh, talking about the Noahide laws, look, we've had uh, good scholars on this show. I, uh, Dr. Keener, who is not only a, you know, I, I consider Dr. Keener a, a friend and, uh, and, and a very good scholar, his four-volume uh, work on, on the book of Acts is, is huge. I mean, each volume's like, you know, it's, it's like three inches thick each volume is. Um, he takes the same, he takes the same, uh, the same idea, you know, that this is the Noahide laws. And I think that it doesn't come from a real, uh, you know, I'm not trying to put down Dr. Keener at all in this. I, I just think that, you know, if, if, uh, you, you just retell the stories that you've been told, right. And we do this too. I mean, every, everybody does this to some degree. Um, but you know, Dr. Keener, he grew up in, or, you know, his, his theological upbringing was in a tradition of Acts 15 is talking about the Noahide laws without going and, and really looking and saying, okay, is this plausible? Is this late? All these kind of things. And so the point, my whole point in this is, even in this article, we see a very good scholar who's done hard work. He's got his PhD. He's doing, you know, he's he's uh, he has a specific field that he's working in, right? He's really not bringing anything new to the to the conversation in terms of is Torah for believers today. He's not bringing really anything new or any arguments that aren't being championed by the preacher at the Sunday church. It's the same arguments. And it's the same arguments we've talked about numerous times. They just don't hold up. I'm sorry. In a way, that's why I mean it's like, in a way, it's an unspoken statement of faith. Um, and that and that's a good point to, to bring, like we were saying, uh, if you are talking to somebody about Acts 15, ask questions about, okay, so when Peter talks about the yoke, unbearable yoke, yeah. is, is he talking about the Torah of Moses, or is he talking about traditions of, of men that have accumulated? Um, ask that question. That that's a great because the significance of your answer is like has there's major ramifications. And then the other is is this uh, ruling this dogma. What does it mean that it's a dogma? Ask that. What does it mean that at the beginning of Acts 16 that these all these churches these uh, ecclesia were were edified? But also, is it Noahide laws or is this ruach hakodesh inspired? Um, message of edification for the early fledging persecuted groups of believers. Well, think about the, you know, think, just think about this for a second. Uh, by the way, we have another person, uh, Christina, in the in the chat room says, Virginia family, I, I think she means a family from Virginia, representing our King Yeshua from Jerusalem. Man, what's, everybody's in Israel right now. Yay! Why didn't you take me? Hey, next time invite me, okay? They, we're there in spirit because we're we're broadcasting there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but but the, think about this for a second. The the apostolic scriptures, or what is commonly referred to as the New Testament, was not uh, was not around in the first century. Okay, when Acts was written, they didn't have Paul's writings at this time. Okay, um, or when Acts was going on, I should say. Um, and and so when they when they send out to all the churches, all the ecclesia, these these this ruling by this council. That uh, that we're supposed to teach the the Gentiles these four laws. No synagogue, in my opinion, in the first century would be happy about. It would be like if today you sent something out to all the churches saying, "Hey, rip half of the New Testament out of your Bible." 
because we don't need it anymore. What would the, what would the churches say? They wouldn't rejoice. They'd say, you're a heretic. We're not doing that. This is the word of God. Yeah, and not only that, why does Paul quote Leviticus <laughs> yeah. and the Shema, right? Uh, love yeah. your neighbors yourself. Why does he quote these other passages of the Torah if they're not part of the Noahide commands? Because they're not. The Shema and love your neighbor yourself is not part of the Noahide commandment. Exactly. So why is Paul quoting Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? Why does he quote from the Torah? Yeah, exactly. I, I, the idea that that uh, uh, that Acts fifteen is saying that the that the Gentiles only have to keep the Noahide laws. I think that you know even when we press Doctor Keener on it. Now, I'm sure that he probably still believes that, but I think that if we really sat down with Dr. Keener and uh, and looked at evidence with him, I think that he would probably have to say, yeah, you're right, that the evidence isn't necessarily there for... Right. Uh, for it could just be a loss. matter, Caleb, of, of skin in the game. Yes. Where However... Because I'm going to say that Dr. Keener, his skin in the game is mind-blowing. You see the work of God in his, in his testimony, in his life, in his scholarship... Yeah. And it's, and that's where the Lord has, has put him, um, and so our our sharpened thoughts tend to be when it comes to Scripture is where we most have skin in the game. Uh, that seems to be uh, a factor. Now, there's no doubt that uh, that Dr. Keener is uh, not only a, a strong brother in the Lord, but has done mighty work uh, in the, in the for the kingdom. There's no doubt about it. Um, but if you look at the body of work that Dr. Keener has put out, I mean, it's like the guy writes more than N.T. Wright, which is almost impossible. I mean, which the, is right. right. I mean, <laughs> the, uh, Dr. Keener writes the books that he writes. You know, his his two volume work on miracles. If uh, for those who weren't around listening to this show when I interviewed Dr. Keener, or yeah, Dr. Keener and his wife, uh, his his two volume work on miracles came from a footnote. In his commentary on Acts, he started a footnote and it turned into a two-volume book set. Uh, so, I mean, the guy's called footnote to page one hundred. <laughs> <Yeah>. No, <laughs> no, but I mean, like this is the level of you know the guy is writing more than any any the amount of work that he puts out. So, I'm I'm not trying to say that his scholarship is not good scholarship. He is a great scholar for sure. But what I'm saying is is that when you put out that much work, you can't be ultra specific on every single point right. we depend on exactly we all depend on the work of others right yeah exactly I mean, like, oh yeah it's like in our language class we depend on the work of dr mounts for you know and and we use hebrew grammars we use aramaic grammars and lexicons and all these things we're depending on the work of scholars who've gone before us and have have labored sure. in those specializations and we're coming in benefiting from the fruits of their labors. And even if we have little quibbles here and there, Baruch Hashem, you know? Uh, and, and in a way, this is this article kind of that we're looking at, disappointingly, echoes these, unsp these places that have gone unchallenged, it seems. Um, and, you know, I, again, we just want to whatever, wherever the Lord puts us, I, he, like back to Romans 12, he gives us each a measure. He mm, puts mm -hmm. us somewhere. And, and that seed of faith wants to grow. It wants to grow and be fruitful. That's its, and it's because it's life in Messiah. It's, li it's resurrection life in Messiah that is given to us. It's that, 
it's that spirit of Messiah in which, you know, calls out in our hearts, Abba, Abba Father. Father. That yeah, wants exactly. to grow. So we want to inc- do whatever we can to encourage our brothers and sisters in that regard. But part of that commandment is don't think of yourself to be something you're not. Don't think of yourself higher than you, you know, to be something you're not. Um, Paul in Galatians says, you know, for the man who thinks himself to be something when he is not, when he's nothing, you know, he's deceiving himself. We, James puts it in Yaakov about the Torah, you know, having the Torah open like a mirror. When you when you leave and you you stop looking at the Torah, you forget what kind of man you are, and you start thinking of yourself in terms of the world rather than in terms of covenant relationship with God and and with the Shema abiding in that shalom that John Piper so wonderfully was preaching there, abiding in that shalom as our core relationship in every breath, every moment of our life. That's our resurrection life that we have in Messiah. Um, but we do need to recognize that we all have limits. Yeah. So uh, that's just a point, and we do depend on one another. We do depend on scholarship. Well, it's, and it's to inter- the best of our ability, we're going to try to to bring the corrective element. Which, you know, we, de- we deal with the nonsense. Sometimes we deal with scholars like we're looking at today. We're, I mean... I didn't even know we were going to hear clips from N.T. Wright and um, John Piper, and I didn't even know I was going to talk about the the Daniel Wallace. Maybe you were going to already, Caleb. But already in our show, look at the diversity yeah. of, of, of who we're talking about and why. But it's interesting that it's interesting that you talk about. Um, you know, we build on on uh, the scholarship of others. You know, writing, uh, attempting to sit down and write a thesis is a is a very difficult thing to do. And what you have to do in a thesis is you have to say everything. You can't just say, you know, people believe this. Who believes it? You know, one of the things, so I have, you know, my, I have my go-to books back here on this subject. If I, you know, uh, they're the first books I go to, the first things I look at. One of the things that I've really had a hard time doing is finding books of people that I disagree with to cite in my you know, when talking about like the the John chronology as opposed to the the what I believe in, I you know it took me three days to try to find good scholars who hold to the John chronology so that I can see what they say and then cite them on it. But basically, it's like it's like building Legos, right? It's like building your Duplo Legos. You have you know you're building on you're building all these arguments from scholars that have gone before you. Even though you have your own thought and what you're you're doing, you, ultimately what you're doing is you're putting all these scholars together to show something different and something new. And this is essentially how we do scholarship. And, it's, and that's it, the that is the calling in in the section of teachers in the body of Messiah, teachers those who are handling the word of God, whether you're a teacher or you're preaching. Um, back to what what Daniel Wallace is saying in in some of his. Uh, audio lectures on the the canon and the text of the text in uh, text critical approach to our to all the manuscripts we have is that we don't have to be afraid of history we but we are called to be precise and bring even though he doesn't he doesn't quote the torah as as we need to be just uh, weights and and measures but he does imply that principle that we need to have you know, bring the full light, you know, put everything out on the table and bring it all into the light and then talk about 
what's going on here? And that that's uh, an honor. He, I like how he says that's an honor to the Messiah. That's bringing honor to to what's going on in history. Let's bring it home for the people who are listening here. You might be thinking to yourself, okay, that's great, but I'm not a scholar and I'm not doing scholarship. But that's just it. As believers, you know, I don't consider myself a scholar. And as uh, as believers in the Messiah Yeshua, as people who are studying the Bible, studying the Bible for what? For for our own life, right? For our own faith right. and, and for the faith of our families. The, my, the point is, is that you don't have to be a scholar to apply the rules of scholarship to your Bible study. Exactly. Everyone should be doing this. Everyone should be applying these rules to their own Bible study and to their own uh, study of the word within within their devotions. Go ahead. Right. We, we don't want you to be naive. Exactly. To the fact that when you go to the bookstore and you buy a Bible and you come home and you open it up and you think, oh, it says Holy Bible on it. I have the word of God here. Well, when you open it and you start reading it, you are also entering into a conversation that is 2,000 years old yeah, or more. Yeah, exactly. Because, because you're interacting with the decisions that scholars have made for you. Mm-hmm. It's just like when if you, if you buy food and it's packaged and you don't know its history, you just go home and, okay, I've got frozen green beans. It says it's organic, Right. And and I'm just gonna boil boil some green beans with tomatoes or whatever, or or I'm gonna drizzle olive oil on them, put and broil them. Whatever you do, there's a lot of good ways to eat green beans. The point is, I'm blind to the to the history of the product. If it's meat, right, you get into the whole idea of what is it kosher or not? Is, was it bled? Was it uh, slaughtered correctly? Was it um, uh, is it free range? Is it organic? Or does it have uh, antibiotics, right? These are, why do we ask those questions now? Why do labels have this? Because people start saying, wait a minute, I'm interested in where it came from. This, yeah. How this product came to be where it is with, is it free trade or not? With, were these bananas, were there slavery involved with the, with the coffee, all these things? Why do we ask that question? We need to ask those same kind of questions all the more for the Bibles that we're reading. Yeah. What are the nutrition facts on your Bible? Yeah. <laughs> ah, Babylon B's got to have a, a one on that. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, I'm sorry to uh, to the people who wrote in asking about Erna. Our one of our one of the dedicated 36. Erna wrote in asking about Takun Alam, and we will certainly uh, get to it. We've talked about Takun Alam before, I believe, but we we'll can, talk we, about I it mean, again. We, we can give a nutshell. Now, the, we're, uh, to be honest with you, I don't think that you can give a nutshell of Tikkun Olam without people thinking that you're insane. Because great, it, it's a great question, it and it applies question. to some of the other things we've seen, because we did get another email about Zohar Christianity, which I really liked. Yeah, and um, we'll, we'll talk about all this next week. You can, you can uh, preempt it by looking in your show notes. If you don't get the show notes, get the show notes. Go to uh, TorahResource.com. Hover over Internet Radio and go down to the Robin Caleb Show. That's our page. You can uh, you can find all you know our you can sign up for our show notes there, and you can find other stuff there as well. I think that we're gonna call it a uh, a, a day for today because uh, if, if we got into Takuno Lam, I think we'd go just way beyond. Uh, can I share one other side point? Of course, go for it. Okay, so um, I'm really thrilled that uh, I have an opportunity to present a paper that I'm continuing to refine uh, on that closed mem. Remember we had that yes. closed mem show. Well, you know me, I get into the weeds on things. Well, I've been pursuing that uh, still over the last month, and 
learning a lot of new cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm p- going to be preparing all this for SBL in November, Lord willing, in Boston. Um, but I did find one of the things. If you remember, I, we we found um, Joseph Kospi, who lived in the the 1300s, a commentary, who was talking about this closed mem, and he draws on the Masoretic tradition. But he says that it can't. He all he says is that it can't be the Virgin. It's not talking about a Virgin. And I was unable to find who's he responding to, because he seems to be the first uh, Jewish author that I can find interacting with the Masorah and the Hebrew text, but saying, no, it's not a virgin. Well, this last week, actually just yesterday, I found two Catholic uh, monks. One is a Dominican and the other a Franciscan, and one's in Spain and one's in France, who lived in the 13th century, who are interacting with uh, the closed mem saying that it is ju- just as the mem contrary and it's they're writing in Latin but they have Hebrew in there just as this closed mem in the middle of a word is contrary to nature so too um, the the Messiah was born of a virgin contrary to nature hmm. so that the the, the key phrase here is that uh, this contrary to nature of having a closed mem in the middle of a word demonstrates that these Catholic scholars in the 1200s were aware of the, of the Masoretic issue. They were maybe probably through the Talmud, probably not through the Masorah, um, of this, this closed mem. And they are the first that I've been able to see on the what we would call the Christian side, but technically it's Catholic, uh, Catholic monks, two different traditions, Dominican and Franciscan, um, that are arguing, that are aware of the, this closed mem mystery, and they're arguing that it reflects the Virgin. And so uh, it looks that Cosby is responding to Catholic uh, monks. For those who don't know, and I, I don't know if we've actually uh, made this known to our listeners or not, uh, Rob has had now two papers accepted at this year's SBL Society of Biblical Literature. That is, so yeah. uh, Rob will be uh, speaking at in in Jerusalem in August. He will be Bizrat Hashem, yeah. Bizrat Hashem uh, if it's the Lord's will, and uh, he will be speaking at uh, Torah Resource Institute Family Camp uh, at the end of August, and then he will be presenting two papers in two separate uh, uh, categories at the SBL. So a, a lot of a lot of preparation he has. All right. I hope that everybody enjoyed our uh, little chat here. Pray for me. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, uh, and if you want to be a part of this conversation, if you weren't watching live and you want to be a part of this conversation, you can send us an email, cheg at torahresource.com. It's cheg at torahresource.com. Don't forget to leave us messages on our comment line. That is 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you one more time. It's 465, uh, 253-465-3205. And of course, next week, uh, we'll try to get into what we were talking about, which is uh, Takun Olam. If you don't know what that means, come back next week, and we'll tell you all about it. Uh, we sure do like hearing from you guys, and uh, we appreciate all the feedback that you guys give us. So let us know what you think, okay? And yeah. I, I hope that this conversation has uh, enhanced your knowledge in some way, shape, or form. But most of all, what we hope is that it glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah.